0: we all need accountability and discipline and for as strong as i like to believe i am i'm smart enough to realize i'm not that strong and i'm not that disciplined
1: what's up tribe welcome back to the podcast that brings you closer to the world's biggest risk takers and enemies of the status quo This podcast is for people who want to take the plunge in life but need a little nudge. I'm your host, Coach Darren K. Roberts, and I went from Harvard Law to the NFL by the grace of God and good old-fashioned grit. Today, I'm bringing a good friend, Joe Malloy, to the tribe. Joe has a black belt in being a badass. As a competitive triathlete, he has represented the USA in 21 different countries on six continents, In 2016, he anchored Team USA to their first ever world championship in the mixed team relay and competed at the 2016 Olympic Games. Tribe, let's get ready to listen to Joe Malloy. All right, Joe, here's the question for you now. You ready? I'm ready. I was born ready. (laughs) I know, I know. Let's say I'm just barging to your high school, walking to your English class. You're in the 11th grade snatch you out of your seat. You're probably sleeping. Anyway, bring you out into the hallway. And I ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? What
0: would your answer have been? My answer to that was and still is happy. (laughs) I steal it from John Lennon. I I love that quote. What are you going to be when you grow up? And he says, he tells his teacher happy. And the teacher says, you don't understand the question. And in turn, he says to the teacher, you don't understand life. So that, that's always been my answer. It's always been happy.
1: So you knew this at an early age. So 16 and 17, you were already thinking, you know, I want to create the best state of mind that I possibly can. Not not thinking, you know, title and position.
0: Yeah, that's never been kind of anything that's driven me.
1: Man, how do we, you know what? We got to get you a book, movie, miniseries. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I just, I, because, you know, we were just talking about the fact that I have 300 students a year and the helicopter parents have conditioned them to think about the what, you know, lawyer, doctor, surgeon, you name it. And they get to school and, you know, Joe, they actually really want to be a chef or a journalist, but it's not sexy enough for the folks back home. And then they start living this lie. If they had talked to a young Joe Malloy back in the 11th grade, (laughs) they would have figured out that being happy is the most important thing.
0: Maybe. They would have seen my <laughs> viewpoint. I'm not saying it's right. But I, I mean, it's definitely a different viewpoint. One of the things I worry about, actually, Coach D, I worry that you mentioned the all this attention on climbing these steps and hitting these benchmarks and documenting things. Hmm. And it seems like the kids growing up now have it way harder than I had it because everything in their lives is recorded and saved and downloaded and posted and liked or not liked and And I think all that documentation it sends a message that all this stuff has to go somewhere, and there 's got to be a point to everything, and you're doing this because you know the other guy's not, and when it comes time to get whatever you're chasing you 're going to get it, and they 're not and and that 's a race that never ends
1: you know i hadn't thought about and and i am <laughs> I am one of the people that i'm constantly sort of thinking through social media and its impact on folks i hadn 't thought about the fact that sort of like this daily storytelling may send the message to the young and old that this thing has to go somewhere. Like there has to be a destination, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting concept.
0: It's almost like the experience and feeling is lost. Hmm. And, (laughs) And that's probably a super analytical way of looking at it, but.
1: No, I like it. I like it. Let me ask you this, the college application process, what did that look like for you? Was it stressful? Were you torn? Uh, we'll tell folks where you eventually ended up. but what was that process of choosing a university? What did that feel
0: like for you? It was tough. I mean, like anything, it's a transition. it's you're going from something in some place where you're comfortable and stepping into something new. and I was fortunate I had a good guidance counselor. I had good support at my high school and I kind of just knew that my next step, I was ready for it, wherever and whatever it was. And, and I tried to keep that confidence about the whole process because it's tough hearing know from places. And I ended up, I was accepted and I actually was going to go to a school in my home state in New Jersey called the College of New Jersey uh, until I got into Boston College off the waiting list. I got off the waiting list two days before my high school graduation just said yes I'm going I had never been to the campus never seen it before but um figured it was worth a shot so so hold on
1: you're going blindly into BC yeah now when you get there as a freshman w- what is a freshman joe like 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 take us i I want to know what you're wearing <laughs> what you're thinking what you're majoring in like w- what was that like for you
0: i was jersey joe <laughs> i was <laughs> But
1: um, slick hair, like a lot of a lot of like mousse and stuff in the hair.
0: No, no. I, I it, to tell you the truth, my freshman year, it was the first time I would ever seen someone pop their collar. <laughs> and I remember, I was like, "Have I been doing it wrong my whole life?" <laughs> <laughs> I hardly wore collared shirts. I was just like this beach kid from South Jersey. <laughs> And uh, I mean, my graduating high school class was 86 kids. So I I, I was pretty sheltered. <laughs> but it was awesome. It was it was really the first time I had experienced just a whole lot of different ideas and different cultures and kind of different backgrounds all thrown into one. Because it, I grew up in a pretty small town in South Jersey and growing up, everybody had sort of the same Backgrounds hmm. like socioeconomically, racially, even a lot of thought processes were kind of the same, and you never saw outside of that. So I was kind of overwhelmed, but I loved it.
1: How did you juggle everything in college? I mean, what, what was your typical schedule like?
0: I found I was better when I was busy. Hmm. I ended up, I walked onto the swim team my freshman year. So I had to go to the way I had my class scheduled. I had an eight, I'll never forget, I had 8 a.m. calculus. And it was the first semester of freshman year, and I thought 8 a.m. was late. Uh, sleeping in high school, I was always getting up, swim practice. At, I would be in the pool at 6 a.m. And I never knew, 8 a.m. is early when you're in college. <laughs> but I really found peace going in the routine and going to that class. And it, I'm really fortunate for the experience, because it helped define a lot of my college experience. I remembered how peaceful it felt, how nice it felt to go to the cafeteria I knew the lunch lady who made my omelet and I got my muffin and kind of finding a little bit of comfort in that routine. It helped me feel at home there.
1: As a senior, go back and coach us up. Like let's say you could coach Joe, the senior at BC on life. What are some things that you would tell yourself that you wish you had known then?
0: I would have without a doubt sought, more intellectual challenge. Hmm. I was an athlete for four years of school, and I always picked the most difficult sets, the hardest dry land training. I was thirsting to try things that I couldn't do. But when I look back on my college experience, I definitely did not challenge myself as much intellectually because I was very concerned about my grades and my GPA and where I would graduate in the class. And that's probably the biggest regret I have from my college experience.
1: Really? And you're thinking about, well, we'll get to this later. You're thinking about actually going back to school.
0: I am. And are you close? Are you, are you like, are you 50%, 60%? I'm close until it comes time to think about writing the check. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know, I know, I know. Okay, first job coming out of school. What, what was it? So I didn't
0: make it far. <laughs> <laughs> my senior year, I actually, I, I looked at my roommates applying for jobs and I said, what are you guys worried about? It'll just fall into place. And, and sure enough, for, uh, at least for me, in the spring of my senior year, the assistant swim coach left and the head coach of the swim team, his name was Tom Groden, he offered me a job to work as his assistant. For me, it meant staying at BC two more years. But I could, it represented an opportunity to stay at BC, to stay around, stay in an environment I loved, and around kids who I, I really thought I could help. I was excited to stay involved with the team. I thought we were building something special. And it ended up being a really nice transition for me. I took some master's classes and got into triathlon training.
1: Now, what was it like to help coach some folks who were just your teammates. Like that must have been, you know, as a former coach, I never had that problem because I wasn't good enough like you to compete at the collegiate level, let alone the professional level. But what was it like? Oh, you have other gifts. No, (laughs) listen, what was it like to be coaching some folks that you were just on a team with?
0: I like to say one of the sayings, uh, my jungle is now my zoo, I used to say, (laughs) because I was very aware that there needed to be boundaries. And a lot of them I had to create. Because these teammates who were my friends, you know, I'm, I'm just coming back to campus for another year and they're not different. Their situation is the same, but my situation is the one that's different. So it was my responsibility to build those walls and say, this is OK, but this is not OK. I can't, you know, I can't do that. And and that was hard and that was lonely.
1: Wow. Wow. Next move. I mean, you're making moves. What was the next move? I get
0: antsy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, during that time, um, I all of a sudden had this a lot of free time because my social life, which was a huge part of my life in college, it was then basically non-existent all my friends were then kind of off limits to hang out with so I um had this kind of feeling that I wasn't done competing, especially being around competition, that I was hungry for more of it, and I decided. A good outlet for all this energy and thirst for competition would be triathlon. So I swam four years in college, but I also ran in high school and I had never biked before, but I was curious enough to give it a try. And I hired a coach and, and whenever I get into something, I like to get into it. <laughs> and, uh, so I got, I got into triathlon and, Two years later, I had won an amateur national championship in the triathlon, which qualifies you for they call it an elite card, which gives you the right to compete in professional competitions in, in the sport. <laughs> and the advice I was getting at the time from the coach I was working with was say, hey, you can you have something here in this triathlon thing and it's gonna go away if you don't give it the time it needs. So you are you gotta go all in and come down here. He was based in Philadelphia. Uh, work with me in Philadelphia and uh, kind of see where this goes. So so I did it. I, I told the head coach of the swim team uh, the summer after I had completed my master's certificate I, I that I was going to leave and uh, give this triathlon thing a shot.
1: Talk about like, – this is a trend that we see from a lot of people that come and talk with the tribe – Your understanding and and being a collegiate athlete, it makes sense. But the fact that you knew you needed a coach, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who need life coaches, who need executive coaches, who need leadership coaches to help them get better at at parts of their life. Why why was it just so important for you to get someone to help?
0: Uh, Oh, accountability is a huge thing for me. I think, I think we, we all need accountability and discipline and for as strong as I like to believe I am, I'm smart enough to realize I'm not that strong and I'm not that disciplined and I need, I need little tricks to help me stay on task. And, um, and the coach did that to me. I think, um, so I mentioned accountability, discipline, a third one would be humility (laughs) I think if you're if you're hungry for something and you want to master something, then inside of you you have this humility that says, I'm not enough. I need to know more. I I don't I you know, I'm I'm going somewhere, but I'm not there yet. And you need to be picking up every bit of information you can. So so that's that's why I needed a coach.
1: Wow. Talk about that first competition. I mean, you're a swimmer. And for the folks out there who've been living in a cave, tell people what's involved in the triathlon.
0: So it's a swim, in, swim bike, run all consecutively. And the competition is whoever gets to the line first after those three events. And it, it counts the time that it takes you to go from swimming to biking and from biking to running.
1: For someone who was a top-notch swimmer, which of the two remaining events was the most difficult for you to learn and, and really do well at?
0: It was the bike. Hmm. And it, it was, if, if I'm being completely honest, it was because of the feel, fear component. Hmm. It was the first sport that I really did that involved a bunch of extra equipment. And it was also the first thing I did that you could get really hurt in it. Hmm. And there's a lot that's out of your control. You know, you could pop a tire going downhill, a car could pull out of a parking lot. And so all those other variables that some of which you can control, some of which you can't, uh, that made the bike a lot, the heart, the harder part for me.
1: Yeah. How much time do you spend kind of learning how to fix a bike? I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting because when you were talking about, it, I'm thinking to myself, I hadn't thought about the fact that aside from just cycling you also have to be somewhat of a functional technician to keep that thing going.
0: <laughs> you do. You do. And I'll t- is, for me, it, some people really get into it. They're really mechanically inclined and love knowing how things work. Um, for me, that's that's that the bike maintenance and the bike, the, kind of the ins and outs and the technicalities of it. It never really interested me. I just knew enough to pick to take it apart for travel, to build it back up, and to get it through a race. All the other stuff, I trusted somebody else. I would find a good mechanic and say, "Hey, this is what's going on." And I, of course, you, you spend enough time on it, you pick things up over time because because you need to. But that was never something that I really sought out. Oh my gosh, I love figuring out how these gears work. <laughs> I, I, I knew enough to say this is somebody else's problem, and <laughs> here is money for your time. So that first, so that
1: first triathlon, how, how was it? It was awesome.
0: It, so it was, it was one of those things where it, I felt like, wow, this is me. And and it wasn't just the race; it was the experience. It was getting up. I mentioned I like those early mornings. I hate getting out of bed, but I love the early mornings and it was it was an early morning. We were up before the sun came up. Uh, I set up all my stuff, and the people were really friendly and you know i I looked like an idiot, I'm sure to all them I didn't have any of the gear, any of the right stuff. I was on a borrowed bike um and then I got into the swim, and it was awesome. I was winning and I was like, "This is going to be easy
1: <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and then i I tell you, I got on the bike, and I had never seen people move bikes so fast. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all going by me, um, and then I got on the run, the run went pretty well. I ended up finishing fourth uh fourth overall, which was which was a phenomenal result, especially for a first timer
1: yeah how many but, so uh, how many people were in that first competition?
0: There were a couple hundred. It was a <laughs> regional race man but um but it was it was just one of those things I finished and the finish was secondary to the experience. It was just I, I loved what it brought out of me and the ways that the race challenged me physically, mentally. It was the longest race I had ever done at the time. It was it was about an hour long, and you learn something about yourself when you push yourself for for that period of time. So, uh, so I figured I got to get into some more of these.
1: <laughs> so then you're just on a tear. You, would you say that sort of like the the triathlon? bug and bitten you I mean were you were you all in after that first one was the was the high so much for you they're like you know I got to keep doing this
0: no I I I was all in after the second one because because I did it with a buddy who I swam with in college and he beat me (laughs) (laughs) and then I was all in you're like okay
1: (laughs) now I gotta get serious at this thing
0: yep Craig Craig Lewin took me down and (laughs) We still joke about it, but I said, and I didn't say it to him. You know, I said to him, "Great race." Um, like I always respect my competitors' efforts, but inside, I was like, "I cannot let that happen again." I got, like, I, I can be better than this. I got to I got to see what I can do.
1: <laughs> so then you're on a tear. Walk us up to the 2016 Olympics, Rio, man. I mean, you you, how many races would you say? Or triathlons? Would you say you had competed in before getting to Rio?
0: Oh, there's there's a huge chunk we're going to jump over. I would say at least a hundred. A hundred? Yeah it, it was it was a learning process. I mean, we I, I jumped into it. I after two years working with the coach in Philly, um, I was very unsuccessful and decided I needed d- decided I needed something else went through a little bit of a transitional period and found a coach and a training environment that I thought fit. I gave it a shot. I moved out to Southern California and trained under uh, a coach by the name of Paulo Sousa. Hmm. And I basically ate, slept and breathed triathlon for four years. And during that time, all I was doing was uh, training and racing triathlon. And, um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the process and the investment that it took for me to get to the Rio Olympics.
1: How do you keep your body from breaking down?
0: I just had hip surgery. I'll let you know when I figure it out.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, this is a hell of a regimen you're going through. I mean, w- what is the recuperation process look like for every time you, that you train?
0: Yeah, it's, I think this is a thing that probably a lot of el- elite athletes will tell you. You learn to listen to your body. And the more you're into it I, I'd say the more you're connected with what's going on, um you know when you're ready to go and you know when something's off. A lot of times you might not know what it is, but you know something's off um, and and you develop you know you seek out professional advice to figure out how to how to get more of those good days where everything feels like it's clicking. I worked with um resources at the U S Olympic committee, uh, with my nutrition, I worked with some world-class physical therapists. Um, I got into, a t- a, I found a technique called active release technique or active release therapy really helped me and, um, just kind of figured out a routine that worked for me. It wouldn't work for, I, I wouldn't say it worked for everybody, but it worked for me and I felt it brought out my best.
1: Wow. So listening to your body. I think this is also key for people who are in the in the work environment, you know, sitting at desk and drinking five cups of coffee. Um, I'm probably getting this getting a little too personal here. I'm trying to cut back myself. But, you know, just listening to your body is something that I'm not sure a lot of us take the time to do.
0: And would you say we need to take more time to do it?
1: Yeah, I don't know how to do it. I mean, do you have any tips on, let's just say, um, not for just athletes, but let's say just for the person who's working in a cubicle, the person who's going from meeting to meeting, conference call to conference call, God forbid. um, How do you take, you know, on scrolling through Facebook and drinking pumpkin spice lattes Like what are some ways that people can slow down and just really listen to their body?
0: I I think, I think you see a big movement toward mindfulness now. And I think that's a reaction to a lot of the distractedness that we're being fed. Uh, All this information that's at our fingertips all the time. It's, it's really tempting to always bring your mind somewhere else other than where you are. And I think it's, it, it, it's a powerful thing to just remember like where your feet are and where you are as a person who is with you in that room. And I think to, to anyone out there listening to this, I think that presence would turn into a huge advantage in, in that environment for them.
1: Hmm. Are there any daily habits that you have that you think help you get into that space? Are there there some things you do that you, where where you consciously put yourself into a space where you can really listen to where your body and your mind are?
0: I'm huge on habits. For me, it, it, it's, it's always been my workouts. Hmm. That's always been the time where nobody can get to me. Nobody can, nobody can tell me what to think or what to do or where to be. That's the time I give to myself. And then I find after that I, I I return and I'm I'm more present. But when I when I can have that it's just it I I've noticed it's important. I make an effort a lot of it's for me I like it in the morning. Um I just need that piece to start off my day hmm. and and seek out those whatever it is, couple of minutes, five it can be five minutes, but that, that time I and I'm conscious about giving it to myself and thinking of it as is, this is a gift to me. Nobody, nobody can have this.
1: That morning time is yours. That is mine,
0: and I would encourage anybody listening who who kind of feels like they're always being pulled somewhere, find some time. It doesn't have to be that much, but it the the commitment of the time to you has to be total. Hmm.
1: Wow, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this too. I think that on that note, make sure. People I think get wrapped up in the wrong things like, you know, what chant, what what uh meditation, you know, all of the like the mechanics. But I like it it has to be total. It doesn't it doesn't have to adhere to some, you know, um, school of thought or conventional wisdom. Just make sure that time is yours and it's it's yours
0: completely. Total and individual. I I would say those are the key. Those are the two keys. Wow.
1: Talk about post-2016, the experience as an Olympian, and then what is on your mind now? You're going through some transitions and you're trying to figure out some things in your life. I know a lot of people in the tribe will get so much benefit from hearing you kind of walk us through your thought process.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I would gladly. And and again, I'm not. I, I think like a lot of people in the tribe, I'm I'm not coming here with answers. I'm coming here with just as many questions. Hmm. And I think I think that's a theme. That's a that's a common thread uh, for that m- might strike a chord with a lot of the listeners. But uh, after the 2016 Olympics, I remember uh, coming home and and there's a downside to investing everything you have into this one thing and And we don't talk about that that as as often and and maybe we should, but I remember I went home, I was living in a studio apartment in San Diego. I was three thousand miles away from my parents and my brother and my the friends I had grown up with and and it it wasn't that I was lonely, but it was a realization that I am very alone and I, I, I felt like it, during this Olympic push, a lot of people I, – I felt I I inspired – I was getting messages about how I was inspiring people and how people felt excited about what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, that, that glitter was gone. Hmm. And my next chance to do something like that, to touch those people and to say, get those texts that say – Hey, you just—you know—I—I I, I just started this workout routine. I just signed up for this race. I am, you know, making this commitment to myself. I—I I found a lot of—I got a lot of satisfaction from knowing that. Wow, I—I—I've been able to touch people with this, and—and hmm. and I didn't know how I was going to do it moving forward, and I knew the type of commitment it would take for four more years of that to get to the next Olympics, and in that moment, I knew I didn't have it. And I, it was my job, my life, my profession. And I decided to give it up uh, without really any idea of what to do next, other than that I knew without a doubt that it was time for a change. And, um, so I, I came back home, my dad and I took an awesome cross country trip and, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew all along. I just knew when you want to be successful at something, you've got to be willing to put in the work. You do nobody knows this better than you coach. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be that total commitment. It's gotta be the, the thing that gets you excited and that moves you. And, and that's always been the way I've liked to work. And, um, and it wasn't there in triathlon anymore. So I decided to find it somewhere else. And, I think the process I've gone through is I've I basically just been I moved back to the East Coast and I've been meeting people I've been talking to people and having conversations and listening to those feelings again now they're not you know as an athlete they're physical feelings but there are feelings you get when you walk into a room for an interview or to meet with somebody and ask about what they do and you you can tell if it's something you could see yourself doing and being interested in and feeling like you can make a difference at this. And you can tell if it's something that well, I, I don't, I don't know if that's for me. So I've been having a lot of those experiences and listening to them and moving forward. And I, it's, um, I go back to what, one of the great images I have through this job search is that I haven't found anything that is really, that I know is going to do it for me yet. But I think the idea is you don't have to know, but you have to know where you're curious enough to start hmm. and then to start. And, and that action is very important. And so you've got to be moving, uh, whether it's to dig roots or to sprout towards the sky, you got to be moving. And, um, there's an, there's an image I love of, uh, there's a bam. I don't, I don't know if it really exists, but I think it does. <laughs> it's a bamboo plant that, takes maybe five years of growing its roots underground before it even sprouts, but then once it sprouts above ground, it's one of the fastest growing shoots of bamboo. And and I think of that, and that motivates me because you know it might not seem like I've made it too far in the eight months since I decided to leave triathlon, but I I feel like I've been doing a lot of the work to build those roots that what whether I just find something that's right for me, wrong for me, or an opportunity to start that I say no to, or an opportunity that I say yes to, and then it doesn't work out. All of that is moving somewhere. Um, And and so that's the image I keep in mind is I keep saying, saying yes to this meeting and that meeting, and something I maybe never would have considered before. But I go back to those principles that I had as an athlete, that humility and the discipline. And the hung the hunger to learn more and to discover
1: wow curiosity as the goal like that that curiosity and chasing it wherever it may lead i think sometimes as some of you folks in the tribe can identify with this we want to make that a childhood experience And we think you have to get serious once we become adults and figure it out and know where you're going. But keeping curiosity as an ideal is something that's important for us at any
0: age. Absolutely. man. All right, here we go. I love now. the way you summarize that,
1: man. it's curiosity. You're listen. You're, you're 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 preaching my stuff, man. I'm over here. I'm gonna take up a collection plate with just me and the folks in the studio. We're gonna just we, we love what you're doing, laying down for us, man. Because I think that this is so key, and to hear someone who's achieved so much at a high level to say to talk about the importance of curiosity and to show the vulnerability is is uncommon. So I, I appreciate you you know giving us that look inside yourself,
0: oh absolutely you know whatever we do for however much you achieve it 's never who you are hmm. wow
1: wow yeah and and in um in a in a world where the resume and the LinkedIn profiles kind of rule the day um, and the glossy biographies on the websites, um, you know people start thinking that 's who they are. And and it's not. Um, it's just, it's the it's the covering on all of the bumps and the bruises and the surgeries, right? I mean, that's just a cover-up. Right. Here right. we go, man. We're going into the two-minute drill. I want you to give us, Joe, middle name Aloysius. <laughs> I want you to tell us, if you had one last tweet to humanity, this is it for you, what would it be?
0: Love. It would, be, it would be, it all comes down to love.
1: Mm. We need it. We need it. We need it. Here's number two. Let's say you had to craft a class that every college student in the world would take. All right. And we don't need the syllabus, but all we want is the course title. What would be the title of the class that every student would have to take? Survival. Oh, man. You're killing the one word. I I love it. Survival. Okay, here's the last one. What is the title of the book that you have not written, Joe?
0: It is called To Be Determined. (laughs) And I I mean that as a play on words.
1: Joe, man, let me tell you something. On behalf of the tribe, man, we appreciate you coming in. Just being candid and real, I think a lot of times, and I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of this, you know, I kind of want to put on the facade, but it really helps to hear someone, again, who we can see what you've achieved from afar and think, man, there's no way we could get there, or you know, he's not having any struggles that I can identify with, but to hear you talk us through those problems and issues and constraints that we're all dealing with has been an incredible experience. So thank you for joining the tribe today, man.
0: Been an honor to be your guest, Coach. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to today's show. For show notes and to get goodies to all of the links from the show, visit a tribecalledyes.com. That's a tribecalledyes.com. And I have one ask for you if you like the show, give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. It would really help us to spread the gospel of the tribe. And finally, special thanks to Samantha Skinner and Jacob Weiss, our co-producers and partners in crime for serving up incredible episodes every single week from the University of Texas. Now go out there this week, slay some dragons and keep saying yes.